0: Hi friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is episode 89, and it's an interview with Krista Tippett, and uh, we're going to get right to it, but first, just a couple of things. Uh, My next Largo show is May 17th. If you're in the Los Angeles area, would love to see you at Largo. If you want to hear some of the past shows, uh, there's a Live at Largo circle on my site where you can listen to those shows, including the shows I've done with my beloved friend, Pete Holmes. And then uh, the How To Be Here tour rolls on. I had a new book come out a little over a month ago, six weeks, seven weeks ago, called How To Be Here. And uh, we do these all day experiences called the How To Be Here experience. We're essentially building like a pop-up living room where we get, uh, I think in Durham, it was an old brewery. I'm not quite sure what that was. Um, This fantastic space. And we do dance halls and art galleries and clubs. And we uh, just put the chairs in a big, giant, round, square circle um, with me in the middle walking around. And we do a day together. And um, one of the greatest joys for me is just meeting you people because you're fascinating. And uh, so next we're going to be in Minneapolis. So all of you for the past couple of years have been like, when are you coming to Minneapolis I'm coming to Minneapolis in May. There's still a couple of seats left for the How to Be Here experience in Minneapolis. There's book signing Friday night and then all-day experience on Saturday. And then we're going to Portland and then um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Friday night, How to Be Here experience in Tulsa, and then Brooklyn at the end of June. So still a couple of tickets for all of those and would love um, to see you there. And then July, we're taking the tour to Australia. So um, there's this uh, magnificent man named uh, Jono in Australia who started the Wake Up Project. And I'll be taking the How to Be Here experience to the Wake Up Project. And we're doing events in Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne. And would love to see uh, you there, all of you Australia folks And then uh, we're going to England in August and doing the How to Be Here experience in London. So all the info for that, and then the fall leg dates will be up soon. Um, All that info is at robbell.com because I love coming to where you are. It just just brings me so much joy. And then, oh, uh, yeah, I do these two-day events where uh, we talk about all the stuff that we all want to talk about Um, But we take two days, and uh, we're doing one in September about uh, communication and the creative process, and how do you take something that's inside of you and give it expression, give it language, give it form. And then uh, doing one on spiritual leadership, and then one um, on business. So healthcare, law, entrepreneurs, education, moms, whatever it is that you do all day, how do you... How do you find meaning and depth and significance in your work? Um, so these are all the sort of the questions and the things that I talk about and we deal with together. And so the two-day events, three new ones, are now up on my site this fall. Come hang out with me at The Improv, because um, once again, we're all in this together, and uh, we're all figuring it out. And just how great is this? And how great is this? That on RobCast episode 89, I get to sit down and talk to Krista Tippett. And, um, oh my word, I've admired this woman for so long. And here she is. Hi, friends, and welcome to another RobCast. And today, oh my word, I get to interview Krista Tippett. Hi, Krista
1: Tippett. (laughs) Hello, Rob Bell.
0: This edition of the RobCast is entitled...
1: Hearing anything in my headphones?
0: On, I know you can't really. hear Oh, that's okay. In my all right, all right. On being in the back house is what this is called. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. Um, I've been such a fan for so many years. So has Kristen. And so to talk to you is just fantastic. And I'm assuming that all of my listeners already will be like, yes, of course. Um, but this new book, which we're going to have to talk about, it's so crazy good. Thank you. And you're wrapping up a book tour. Um Chris has a new book it's called Becoming Wise An Inquiry Into the Mystery and Art of Living the, I I mean I'm a fan of titles alone the the spiritual gift of titling to me is the one yeah. I most acknowledge this is it's so good how long did it take to write it
1: It took a long time to write it it took about I've been work, I worked on it for about 7 years now there were stretches in there where I wasn't getting anything done yeah. right <laughs> but uh, the thing about having i mean you've you've written so many more books uh I was having to do it alongside Regular a, very, life. a very 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 full time job yeah um but you know, a book hangs over you, so even when there was a year when I hardly worked on it it was uh it was present, and i was
0: it's still like in your brain and heart
1: it's in your brain, yeah, and it was really i i had to make the a few steps to to find the voice for the book to write it, I had to get out of the um, mode I'm usually in as a radio interviewer. I had to put myself yeah. into the story, and that, and I had I had more than one terrible draft where I hadn't figured out how to do that yet. <laughs> it's very painful. Writing is hard, hard, hard. I don't really? know. Really? I don't know if you, you know,
0: <laughs> Yes. It's, Agony. Right. Agony. You sit all alone. Oh. There's no one going. Good job. You're doing great. That's awesome. It's just yeah. quiet crickets, yeah. and then at some point you don't know what you have. You don't know what you have, yes. and then it sort of goes out into the world. Yeah. Um, and if you do give it to a friend because you want them some feedback, they then would have to read it. So the best case scenario <laughs> is six hours from now, if they had no life. <laughs>
1: right. Exactly. It's yeah. just
0: okay. Yeah. So. What I found fascinating is this is is throughout the book we get your story like woven in. You grew up Southern Baptist in Oklahoma. Mm. Does everybody know this? Prior did you to not this know book? this? Pardon?
1: Did you not know that about me?
0: I did not know this. Mm-hmm. Does everybody else know this and I didn't uh, know
1: that? I mean, I I mentioned my Southern Baptist preacher grandfather okay. quite a lot across okay. the years.
0: So so Everybody but me apparently would already know this. Then you go to Brown, which is like a different world. Mm
1: -hmm. Different planet.
0: And then you go to Germany, Mm -hmm. which is like a third planet.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: And each, um, so your grandfather is a Baptist minister.
1: Mm -hmm. Hellfire and Brimstone.
0: So it's everybody's going to go to hell but us. It's hymns.
1: Everybody, including Methodists. Oh, okay. (laughs) Heaven is small.
0: And did, yes. Did you, did you buy it? You obviously have great love for your grandfather. I
1: did. I mean, it was an immersive world and it was a complete cohesive world. You know, church wasn't just this place. I mean, we went to church three times a week but it wasn't just a place you went three times a week it was it was the center of social life yes it was it was the it was the it was the people we know uh, knew and um and everyone was part of that universe um and we were all kind of on the same page in terms of you know having the text yes. and the teachings and the experiences and and for as um as, as judgmental and scary as my grandfather could be, and as much about, you know, joy-killing rules, he was also, he was loving, and he was funny, and he was lusty, and he had, um, I, had I, li- I, I, I sensed, I mean, I wouldn't have said it this way as a child, but I sensed that he had a big mind, but he had a second-grade education, so he'd never been taught or invited to use his mind or to apply it to the scriptures that he loved so much, so oh, there was this fearfulness about him um, that I picked up without being able to make sense of it. And but there were the contradictions in him, um, all all flowed into my sense of who God might be, um, and you know all and at that totality, that contradictoriness about him is is something I really appreciate now.
0: Yeah, he was like a man whose heart and mind were bigger than the system. Yeah. But paycheck and esteem and relationships and social life and economics and politics probably was all like a giant hairball. And for him to have like grown, expanded, challenged it would have the implications would have been massive.
1: Yeah, you know, it was a pretty closed system his faith, his theology and uh i th- i think he would have been scared to ask questions that didn't not not just that might might not come out the way they should but that might not have an answer so there's part of me that feels like I do the work I do on behalf of my grandfather. You know, if my grandfather had <sighs> lost his fear of his questions, and you know that I can speak with physicists and neuroscientists and evolutionary biologists,
0: which he would have loved.
1: I think he well, and well, I, what I what I like to imagine that is is that he could have lost that fear and that he could have loved it.
0: Right. See, I'm so fascinated when you see somebody doing something, and they're they're thriving in their work, and you begin asking them questions. How often the seeds of where they are, you can find way, way, way back there somewhere.
1: And that's why I asked that spiritual background of your childhood question at the beginning of all of my interviews. Yes. Because uh, however we grew up, and you know, in my case, religion was all about answers. Christianity was all about answers. But I find that um, expansively understood in that spiritual background of our childhood, that early spiritual place in us, It is a place of softness and searching, and questions reside there. And I, and often, you know, and sometimes by a very winding route, I find that, you know, like me. I mean, this is one of the interesting things about writing this book is that I realize that I'm one of these people too. I've made this observation about other people for years, (laughs) but but often, in that place, um, in that childhood, and in that spiritual part of our childhood there are questions that people end up pursuing um, their whole lives long, either personally or professionally, yeah. in ways they couldn't have imagined, in ways they couldn't have planned.
0: Yeah. It's an, uh, I still resonate with that because my parents would take us to church growing up, and I thought the Jesus stories were so brilliant and subversive and unexpected. And every time he's asked a question, he responds with a question, well, how do you yes. read it? How do you think about it? Yes. And whenever there's a center and somebody's been kicked to the edges by the center, he moves from the center out. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever there's an establishment that's decided they're in, they're out, they're clean, they're unclean, they're with God, they're not against God, he's like, mm, actually, it doesn't work anything like that. Yeah. Um, and that at this deep level, as a very young, had this sense like the gathering that happens in honor of him isn't anything like him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And how, and like even the past couple of years, realizing how much of those first, it's almost like it gets etched on your conscience. That's not right. And someone should do something about that. Yeah. And then from there, you're on your way, even though you don't realize it at the
1: time. And even, you know, even things that might seem minor to other people, but the fact that Jesus turns water into wine. And that one of my grandfather's biggest rules is no drinking, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right? I mean, I still remember this traumatic day when he came over to our house and my parents actually had a bottle of wine in the refrigerator, which they'd forgotten to hide. And but, I do remember at some point asking him about this and saying, "Well, you know, gaggy, Jesus turned water into wine right and so so then he would come up with this convoluted explanation. Right. Pliny the
0: elder said it was twenty two parts water or something
1: right? <laughs> no, I mean like he like didn't even exhalation. have that kind of theology I think he but as i say he he didn't know the answer. Oh, here's another one uh that was actually <laughs> painful as I grew older um Southern Baptists are Southern Baptists because they wanted to keep their slaves. Oh. I never knew that history growing up. Um, you know, only in the last decade has there been this kind of public reckoning in, you know, the, yes. in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, I don't know that my grandfather knew that history. Um, and I, when I went away to college and came back, I'd learned the history for the first time and I asked him about it and... You know, he came up with an answer. He said, well, <laughs> I don't even know if this is true. I've never checked this out. Jesus was born in the south of Galilee. No way. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but what was, what was unimaginable That's for so, him. It makes so
0: much no. It's so, it's so completely crazy. It's kind of awesome. And
1: I don't, I don't <laughs> actually think he was lying, right? But, but what I think he he, every question had to have an answer that kept things neat and tidy. And actually, uh, yeah. as you say, that's not in the spirit of the gospel. Yeah. Um, and and so there was something. There's something painful and sad to me, again, that I'm like trying to rectify with my life, seeing yeah. that my grandfather had to be fearful in the in the same place where he found such deep meaning in his life.
0: Right, and the the place of such great depth and love and foundation was also constricting, and it was all the same. Yeah. Good Lord, that's so fascinating. Okay, yeah. so so Brown, then Germany, and the, Can I, I'm i going to read you lines from your own book, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, that, that, I, I do that to people, so okay, good. I, I'm happy yeah. to be on the other side this, of it.
0: We're turning the tables on Krista.
1: <laughs> <tippet. laughs> <laughs>
0: um, you talk about East Berlin and West Berlin, hmm. and... There's so many great lines. I started underlining. I was underlining so much stuff that at some point I was like, forget it. Just read it because (laughs) you're going to end up just underlining the whole thing. Um, Seriously, people, it's that good. But you do this. There's this line about, I found myself drawn again and again, almost for sanity's sake, to the east where so much more was at stake. So there's communist East Berlin. There's not communist West Berlin. Mm -hmm but you're drawn to the East where so much more was at stake and life and mind felt more passionate and vital. This realization unsettled my sense of personal progress and education. It was possible to have freedom and plenty in the West and craft an empty life. It was possible to have nothing in the East and create a life of intimacy and dignity and beauty. And in some ways that summarizes all of your work. To, to me, at some level, mm. but this was your in your twenties.
1: It was in my twenties, and you know, it's a, it's an ancient insight, right? It's an yeah. insight behind philosophy and religion that, that the quality of the lives we craft is not dependent on the circumstances we're given. Yeah, obviously, if you're fighting for survival, that's one thing, but um, for most of us. Um, you know, we, we have a set of raw materials, but it's how we work with them uh, that 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 uh, defines yeah. the life and the, the presence we have in the world. And uh, But yeah, I was young and I was idealistic and I was thoroughly political. And at that point, I hadn't talked about religion or thought much about religion for a decade. Uh, and yet, I was seeing this spiritual existential part of humanity and this this calling that we have to create our lives and seeing how the reality of that didn't mesh with you know the way I'd been taught the world works yeah you make a big outer life you make a big career you get power a certain kind right. of power
0: right and then you're happy which doesn't work mm-hmm. So, um, and there's this fascinating line, my time in Berlin began to point me to the kinds of questions I've asked ever since. How to give voice to those raw, essential, heartbreaking, and life-giving places in us so that we may know them more consciously, live what they teach us, and mine their wisdom for our life together. Let's just pause at how awesome that paragraph is.
1: (laughs) You know, thank you. This is a... It makes me really happy that you like the book, and it's actually really fun to have you um, to ha- hear the words come out of somebody else's mouth and out of your mouth.
0: Yes. I, I am available. I know they've asked me to do the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> As read by a guy in his 40s named Rob Bell. Yeah. That probably wouldn't do that well. But I would enjoy it because um, it's also interesting to me, if you think about sort of evolving consciousness, Oklahoma has a very magical, mythical. There really were two animals at a time that went on an arc. Then you go to Brown, which is, then let's go the other direction. Yeah. Which is essentially, let's let the mind run wild. Mm-hmm. Um, then, Germany has this real politics, sort of. Okay, how do you act in the world, and what kind of world do you make? And then there's this um, you know, transrational place where you begin to integrate it all. Mm. Which sort of turns into what you then do, Mm. Um, which is the mind fully engaged, but the most logical thing is to acknowledge these phenomena that transcend the mind. Yes. Um, Not to sort of, you know, get into your business, but this is how it sort of unfolds in the book, which is, is just beautiful, which I think is why so many people respond. You write this. I believe that mystery is a common human experience, like being born and falling in love and dying. A new openness to the language of mystery and the kindred virtue of wondering across boundaries of belief and non-belief, science and faith is helping us inhabit our own truths and gifts exuberantly, I like that part, while honoring the reality of the other. Yes. it's. I have no, Then you're right. I have no idea what religion will look like a century from now, but the evolution of faith will change us all. Pow! That's like the drop. Krista Tippett drops the mic. <laughs>
1: right. So, you know, um, and I'm probably addressing my grandfather in that, too. The thing is, I think we can have it all. I oh, think we can thank have you. certainty thank and you. conviction oh. and integrity, and we can claim truth as best we can discern it at any given moment, and we can dedicate ourselves to living yes. by that truth. But I'm at, high-fiving the universe okay. right now. <laughs> but at... Well, and you know this. You, this is another way of talking about what you write about. But, but at the orthodox core of our traditions, it insists on the reality of mystery. Yes. And that there will be much that in this lifetime we can't comprehend, can't pin down. And, you know, so one of my favorite images that came to me a long time ago from my conversations was with... Uh, a geneticist, Lyndon Eves, who was also an Anglican priest. And you know, he said that he often had to hold the scientist in him and the and the theologian in him at bay. Um, but he said that he thought that, that there was a kinship between, the, that, this, that, this, that the spirituality of the scientist is like the spirituality of the mystic. Absolutely. Which is at one and the same time to delve into truth, to claim truth as best you can know it and live by it. And also to be open to everything that you do not yet, cannot yet know. And even to celebrate that, to delight in that. And, and, and so, you know, that's what I mean. I think we can have it all. We can have um, robust identities. Um, and we can celebrate the mystery, including the mystery in this century of the religious other. Yes. We don't have to choose between those two things. And that makes the 21st century possible.
0: Yes. And it creates all this... By the way, I love that you love Desjardins. Yes. I... Oh, yeah, we could do a whole thing on that. Spiritual
1: um, evolution. Yeah.
0: When, when I realized that the things, the pieces that were falling into place for me... Obviously, you always learn that somebody else said it better 172 <laughs> years ago. Yes. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? so how it works? Yeah. Yep. Like, I think I'm starting to actually see some big patterns here. <laughs> and then somebody's like, you know that Johann von Varkstjen <laughs> wrote about this 900 years ago. Or Rumi has 19 poems about it. Yeah, and you think, oh, okay, but great. But
1: that's okay. The world also needs you to put your words around it. Yes. Really.
0: Yes. The organization of old information creates new information. Um, and how do you... It's interesting to me how you intuitively from the get-go in your work are moving... This ridiculous sort of science versus faith, you just never, it just was never any, you were always comfortable wherever it took you.
1: It's an artificial fight. Yes. It is an artificially constructed fight. Yeah, the history of both science and religion, and I mean, let's just talk about Christianity. Yes. I mean, uh, Galileo and Copernicus and Kepler, um, uh, and even Darwin, all of them were rooted in a Christian worldview and essentially uh, believed that whatever they could learn about the natural world Absolutely. would illuminate, would expand our understanding of the, of the intelligence and the creative, yes. the creative mind behind it. We're
0: all on the same team.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so, so actually there was no separation between science and theology. These were mutually enriching disciplines yes. for the longest time and then for this blip in history of the past couple of hundred years right. in places and only in places and only in places in Christianity has there been pr- what is perceived as an argument but there's so many there's so many things wrong with that and I think I think one of the you know one of the core ways to think about it is that there is this perception and this would probably have been my grandfather's perception <coughs> that science and religion are reaching d- different answers on the same questions and in fact, they are asking different questions all together. Yes. Altogether. yes. And, and together, they are illuminating the totality of the reality of us and the reality of the natural world in ways that we could never, we, we couldn't have that illumination without both of them.
0: We need both of them. I have this theory that like when, some, when two things belong together but somebody splits them, like if you and I are really angry with each other, so we turn and walk away from each other, if we keep walking we're going to end up meeting each other face-to-face in China or something. <laughs> yes, yes, That when something <laughs> yeah. was um, unfairly or, or incorrectly divided and like seen as a spectrum, like moving away, at some point, just give it enough time, and they'll end up in Nepal running face-to-face. And that you have this great thing happening in culture where people are going, these two that were sort of pitted, yeah. they actually went away from each other, and now they're meeting. And, and going, I think
1: there's actually physics to back that up. What you just said. Oh, there
0: always is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, there's always that's somebody true. who's like, you yeah. know, corks do that normally yeah. a billion times right. a day in your left hand. Right, right.
1: <laughs> but, but, but then you know, the fascinating thing for me is because I, ten years ago, I, I just when I started interviewing scientists and you know, even scientists who aren't religious, um, are, uh, are at, at all and who aren't setting out to to have to create spiritual insight, are, are doing that. I mean, they are, they, are, they are revealing theologically evocative things to us. Yes. Um, but what now I feel like, and this doesn't get nearly as much play as the fight, but now there's been this uh, rapid evolution where other kinds of science, uh, the life sciences, are actually taking the wisdom of spiritual traditions, uh, the virtues of theology, into the laboratory and revealing how deep and true and profound they are, and actually illuminating that in ways that theology hasn't been able to describe. Right. You know? Ecosystem, yeah. and forgiveness and yes. generosity and gratitude.
0: And yeah, I love uh, brain studies where they're like, hey, you know, if you take time to like reflect and meditate, then the brain will actually calm down. Oh, yeah. And, yep. Yes. Which people have been saying for several thousand years. Yeah. Yeah, contemplation
1: um, is good for you.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, now there's like little hints of of Krista Tippett when she's not on the mic. You love to watch TV.
1: <laughs> I do. Good TV.
0: Um, Although
1: I suppose people could disagree with my choice in good TV. Like what do
0: you what do you like?
1: Uh, oh well, I like a lot of things that might not seem. Um, That's exactly very what I'm asking for. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love The Americans. Yep. Um, I like homeland. I loved true blood. I loved those vampires. Yep. Um, uh, I, I love so there's so much great TV now, and I'm Isn't so fascinated with how good TV is bringing us back to not just our love of good storytelling, but our need for it. Yes. and also how um, how how storytelling is the way we make sense of our lives and and of great moral issues. And it's and it's not by simplifying them and it's not by making everything rose colored it's about like honoring the drama of the human condition right and the messiness of it
0: and now with whole episode like whole series mm-hmm. so like the wire or house of cards yeah house
1: of cards there'll I like.
0: be this one person rolls or eyes with the other person in episode seventeen complete and you have and all you know is for like an, a tenth of a second oh apparently they have something with them and then 29 episodes later <laughs> yes. you find out yes. and otherwise you're just left to like apparently there's something going on between those two. Yeah. And we'll find out in 2019 what it is.
1: It's so great. It's yeah, so great. I, it's a rediscovery of depth. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you so what's a normal week? Do you go to an office?
1: I do. I I actually 3 years ago we took uh, I took my project out of it's the big media company that it was part of. And so we now have an independent nonprofit production company. Got it. So I, and that's why I ended up there were a couple of years in there that I wasn't working on the book because I was creating a new organization. And, and that's been, I mean, it was hard, but it's been really life giving. I mean, to create a, a place where people come to work every day that is joyful, yes. uh, which is not, was not a given in a kind of more traditional organization.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so uh, yeah, I go to work and um and i I sometimes I find people romanticize my job, which i um I, I I am so grateful for what I do yeah, um and I think actually part of my my learn my growth curve it needs to be just being just that much more grateful for it. but I had to fight so hard for it for such a long time. Oh. you know and um, so anybody who
0: says must be nice, you're like, you have no clue.
1: yeah, well, and also I would say. I don't know how much of my time—maybe five or ten percent of my time—is actually doing these beautiful conversations. And I mean, those feed me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's why I, that's why I come to work every day. But you know, I also raise all the money for the show, and I—you know—I'm—I'm I'm, now I'm running this organization, and um, and I travel. You know, I'm, so it's th- there's like in any job, in any work, there's a lot of administration. And there's a lot that yes. is, is not in and of itself meaningful. I worry so much about how now this there's this mantra of having meaningful work, right? Right. Well, everybody is not, especially now, I think post-2008, every, everybody's not going to have work that somehow or the jo- a job title that, that defines who they are. So I, I really, I want us to rediscover this language of vocation and to understand that vocation is not is not synonymous with a job title, right? For a few of us, maybe it is, but vocation is about your—you know—your human unfolding, and it's about you as a parent and a neighbor and a friend. Um, it's about your avocations, um, and, and maybe it's about how you do the work you do, rather than whether that work, on the surface, looks like it's socially meaningful.
0: Yes. There's, there's a romance, sexy thing about certain work, mm-hmm. but every time I'm with somebody who there's that, like, oh, wow, you're, and you find out, which is why I always ask, what's a week like? Yeah. Uh, they're like, well, yeah, 13% of it yes. is that. Yeah. And you have to love all these other pieces because of what goes into it. So, so literally, 10% is conversations.
1: Probably, yeah. So you're I mean, like, I was with some twenty-year-olds, and they—they they were like—they they said, "Well, how does your day start?" And I said, "Well, my day starts with about two hours of email, right, 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 right. literally, and writing things, and corresponding, and solving problems, and there's nothing right, romantic, right, right, nothing spiritual about it.
0: Ten percent of your work is a walking meditation with Han, and thirty-seven percent is, Bill, the photocopier is broken again." <laughs> Carol, get the TPS reports yeah, in or here. Yeah,
1: some equivalent, of that. This
0: coffee sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, it's so refreshing. Um, by the way, we have to talk about, you have this one line, all alone, which I love. It's not a paragraph, it's just a line hanging in space about uh, walking meditation with Titnok Han, mm. which I'm assuming you probably can't put what happened that much into words, but I'd love for you to try. And um, you know, why it was.
1: I don't know why that just reminded me of um, <laughs> my daughter, who's 22 now. She's home last summer, and there's a person in the book, Matthew Sanford, the yoga teacher, who's paraplegic, who's a really important teacher to me on kind of reconnecting mind and body. She went to one of his classes. and he, He's in Minneapolis, and uh, she came home. And j- okay, so you know, you have a, you have a, well, your child is 17, but. She's in her twenties, right? So I say, "How was it?" And she said, "Well, Mom, it was a true mind-body experience. So as you'll understand, I can't really describe it to you." <laughs> <laughs> so you just asked me. Yes. Y- you asked me that question. Right. Um, but what I what I said is s- sounds simple, but uh, you know this ex- you know the experience of uh, of. It, that's another artificial separation we created, yes. mind-body. I have this feeling that 50 years from now people will look back at literature of this age and they'll see how we talk about mind-body-spirit and they'll kind of smile <coughs> at how primitive we were.
0: Yes, you have this line, uh, page 57, for those of you keeping track at home, mind and spirit are as physical as they are mental. Um, this happened to me when I started reading quantum physics. Yeah. Wait! Everything's made of atoms. Atoms are made of particles. Particles are made of subatomic particles. And subatomic particles are relationships of energy. So this table and chest and And bone. And even
1: how we're learning um, that so many things that we've treated as emotional or mental, like trauma, are lodged in our bodies.
0: There's like a pain body.
1: Yeah, there's a pain body. And um, it's so interactive, wildly interactive. But the church... Did this to us? I mean, and I think the church actually, the Western church, it infiltrated this this chin up experience to other religions as well in the yes. West. And for my grandfather, chin up experience. Yeah, right. So for good. my grandfather, the body was an entry point of danger. Like it was just perilous. To be it was, feared. It was a and slippery ignored. slope for everything bad: yes. addiction, sex, pregnancy. And actually, in his generation, there were very good reasons. I mean, that you know, it was before AA, it was before birth control, it was before. Uh, I mean, so that's actually something that I got some compassion about. Well, later. that
0: actually hit me really, mm-hmm. really hard. I mean, there was
1: an in, there was an intelligence about the body, uh, in in that generation, uh, that 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 had validity in in that world. Right. There is this that. rule
0: about all these things you can't do, mm-hmm. but if you trace it back to its first. The first arising of that rule, it was because there were real dangers. Yes, like that building's really on fire. Don't yeah. go into it. Yeah, which a couple generations later, all you have is the rule without the reason why. Yeah.
1: Or for example, I mean, I did a project um, before I started when I was starting the radio show. But before I could make a living from it, um, for for Hazelden, which is the uh, you know recovery and addiction tr- in the original treatment center. And I, I talked to people in other countries where AA had only arrived, had arrived within living memory. And you have, had this realization that until 12 Steps, until AA, um, addiction was a death sentence, right? It was just a path to ruin. And, I, you know, my grandfather growing up on that Oklahoma frontier, yeah. you know, that rule of no playing cards and just don't even take a drink. I remember asking him, like, Really? I mean I said I get it that you don't you c- shouldn't get drunk but why not even take a drink and he you know he said well you could be setting an example for someone and what I realized later is setting an example for somebody who really can't stop themselves and there is no turning back. So so you know right right right. So but there was there's a there was a reality about our physical selves in that that we kind of stop heating now then once we have the solutions so we go we go the other direction. Yeah. Um,
0: write the whole thing off
1: yeah don't honor the body you can do it all and you can fix it later yeah. that's also not intelligent
0: I, um, I love that the book are these words faith, hope love, flesh I love that flesh is the first like main chapter of the book we are matter kindred with ocean and tree and sky we are flesh and blood and bone to sink into that is a relief, a homecoming.
2: Mm.
0: Seriously. <laughs> As somebody who's tried to write a few books, this is just like, I just don't even know what to say. So good. Um, the, And then you have this line, we try to control this messy reality we are, tugged and torn by desires and needs and holes we fill with excess. Now, we're bringing our sense of ourselves back to earth we're tethering our yearning for wholeness to the physiology we've known about for a while the neurons we're just learning to see physical emotional spiritual are more entangled than we guessed more interactive in every direction and this knowledge is a form of power can you talk about power in that sense
1: yeah I feel that way about a lot of what we're learning on this frontier of our bodies and brains. Um, We are, you know, living, breathing contradictions. We are so complicated, we're so messy. And what we're getting is a way to understand how that works, and to calm ourselves down and to cr- and to create conditions. So so we're learning that we are hardwired for revenge, which we already knew. We're also learning that we're hardwired for forgiveness. Yes. But that what that science also tells us is that we have to create the conditions for forgiveness to become more likely and more possible. Or another knowledge to me that's so relevant right now that's a form of power is how we're learning this science of implicit bias. How we're learning that our brains, um, that we divide up the world into categories because we have to do that to survive, to navigate the complexity of reality. Um, but that we that we implicitly, uh, you know, we we make judgments when, when we don't want to and we don't think we should and, you know, we're not racist, right? But we make judgment on, on the basis of skin color or gender. Um, uh, and, so, to to know that, um, I mean, when we see, you know, we, well, in a lot of the terrible things that are erupting now, you know, we, we see the very real world tragic consequences yeah. of that. Um, to know it um, is, is to claim it, right? I mean, and, you know, here's where you go back to the ancient intelligence of like the Psalms, right? Yes. Because the Psalms say that you know every emotion, including murderous rage, belongs in the presence of God, but it's claiming it also means that you have control over what you do with it. Yes.
0: If you make lists of things you wish were done to your enemies, violent things, at some point you may have less energy. I always talk about the Psalms like the, you know, do something bad to my enemy. No, you know what, do something bad to my enemy's kids. No. <laughs> dash my enemy's kids against the rocks no dash my enemy's kids friends against the rocks yeah and it's like these increasing gradients of violence but you realize all the energy it takes to make these lists of things you're actually feeling yeah are you're a lot less likely to actually act on those impulses yes and you become powerful in all sorts of other ways exactly i love i was thinking in this paragraph um, Mandela's in prison for what 27 years yeah. and it's like everything is we'll get out and get revenge or we could forgive
2: yeah.
0: and that there is this power that he has there's that shot coming out of prison walking down the street it's so powerful but not normal power yeah. it's like this integrated power that has transcended what would be the normal course of action
1: and then and then that that way he embodied a possibility that would have seemed almost unimaginable right. was accompanied by a process, right? And that's where, you know, the conditions were created yes. by people like Tutu and all those people who took part in the Truth and Reconciliation, a structure was created for forgiveness to become more possible.
0: Yes. I sometimes think, like when I think about what moves me in the, w- in the work that I do, I sometimes, oh, I'm creating space. Yeah. Where
1: uh, So that's such important work right now, yeah. just that, creating spaces where something new can happen.
0: And I'm going to create a space where we're going to assume that hope is the most rational response to the world. Yeah, um, I'm doing this tour right now because I had a, a book come out where we like a pop-up venue. So we get like a dance hall, art gallery, club, and then we do all the chairs in the round. And then I do a whole day in the middle of this, and I can move in among all the people and... Um, sometimes I can feel in the room the job here was to create space where love and talking about things of depth and not skimming the surface, half of it is just creating a space where this is, of course, this is how we would interact with things.
1: Yeah, you and I are comrades, right? Yes. This is, and so people, so when I'm out now talking about the book and people, you know, most of us are so discouraged with the way things are working, you know, with what passes for public life now, with what passes for discourse right, and right, encounter. Right. And, um, and people are wondering what to do. Yeah. And there's a lot. You know, there, there's a lot to talk about that we could do. There are conversations we need to be having. There are new ways we need to listen to each other and, and engage, and and I think be in reflection and discernment and also act, but not necessarily stepping skipping over the relationship and discernment to the action, yes. which is the American way. Um, but I think the first step is creating new spaces. Yes. Right, Creating quiet, inviting, yeah. trustworthy spaces where... You know, the language of even safety has gotten a little bit politicized, right? You know, safe space can also mean a place where some people are safe and others aren't. (laughs) Right, right. But but so, yeah, creating new conversational relationship, relational spaces um, where unimaginable possibilities can be realized. Yes. Which are not rocket science, but will not happen. We can't expect to have new kinds of conversations and become vulnerable with those we di- disagree with, which is actually a prerequisite to something new happening. We can't, we can't ask ourselves or others to do that in most of the charged, right. fraught spaces that are ready-made now.
0: Right, right, right. There has to be a new space, and then there's an mm-hmm. interesting, fierce protection of this is how this space is going to work, and so you're going to have to behave this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you have this great line, for, for most of history religion was a full body experience, a primary space in common life where we danced and sang and laughed and cried and ritualized the passages of our lives. Rituals are sophisticated ancient. I'm actually going to underline that again. Rituals (laughs) are sophisticated ancient intelligence about the body. They're like physical corollaries to poetry. Rituals tether emotion in flesh and blood and bone and help release it. They embody memory in communal time. Krista did it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's so good. Thank you so I, much. Um, we this. make our kids breakfast in the morning. Yeah. And, and like this morning was uh, French toast and smoothies. And uh, we put, we'll put like, it'll be like a fresh smoothie. But then we put like hemp protein or chia seeds <laughs> or goji. <laughs> and it's like how many superfoods can we put in it? <laughs> Without them going, what the f- what is this? <laughs> it's like how much greatness can I see? But um, when people ask, I'm always like, it's a ritual. It's somehow yeah. the poetry of a great breakfast.
1: Yes, I love that.
0: Is if we can do this, then the day we have said something to ourselves about the day.
1: And yes, and the whole journey of this of writing this book. Which I started with I started with an idea about ten or eleven chapters and they had these lofty poetic titles. And the the process of getting honest with myself and like really understanding what I had learned from all this symphony of voices, it got more and more elemental, right? Yes. Wisdom emerges through the raw materials of life. It you know, it is as much about what you do in this minute. You know, yes. And this day, this hour, and this day, and it's about how you do breakfast. Yes. I mean, that is exactly it. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, on the on the one hand, it is a noble undertaking of a lifetime, but it's but the but the architecture of that is this moment and the next moment and the next one after that.
0: And it's kinesthetic and tactile, and yes. it's fabric and it's yes. stone and it's all. Rituals tether emotion in flesh and blood and bone and help release it. They embody memory in communal time. Um, Can you say that? They embody memory in communal time.
1: And that's where I'm thinking of, um, well, I was going to say I'm thinking of kind of collective religious life. I mean, I think that's what communion does. Yes. You know. Yeah. Or, Or all these ways we mark passages of, you know. Christenings, or 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 funerals, um, um, or or membership, um, but actually, as I as I as I think about what you just said, I mean, you know, the family breakfast or the family dinner. Also, embodies memory and communal time.
0: Absolutely, so and 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 like uh, the Jewish home, where every table is an altar. Mm. The central. The centrality of the whole thing is not a temple down the street or something, it's the table where we all gather. Yeah. Like that's the center of the action. That's the mothership.
1: And and so this language of virtue is so important to me and, and rediscovering virtues as intelligence also about, about how we become who we want to be, not rules. Uh, right. but 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 what neuroscience is now telling us is what you practice you become. And so you may not Feel like you're the most patient, or generous, or hospitable, or loving, or compassionate person, and uh, you know you. You know, I think we we are born with different pro- proclivities in those directions, but these these are also things you can practice. Yes, and and you and and, and hope is another one. You know, these are choices you make. And and they are ways you behave, not the way, not ways you necessarily feel you're gifted to be, and but you can, we can build up spiritual muscle memory so that these qualities do become uh, instinctive, and that is that is so exciting. I mean, talk about a form of, of knowledge as a form of power that we possess that our Absolutely. our ancestors did not.
0: Absolutely, and. Like, I love, because it always, every single time, anywhere I go with the Q&A, I love saying to people, okay, this question that you've asked, you have presented a hairball. It's a family systems hairball. It is a <laughs> doubt, fear, worry. There are experts in whatever the hairball is. Yeah. Like, there are therapists who you can go to them, and you can drag your giant extended family whatever, and, or your... It, thoughts about your own body image or whatever, and there are experts who can like say to you, "Oh yeah, there's three ways to think about this. There are two steps you yeah, can take." Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Like this is all now the tribe ha- possesses everything you need to make little clicks forward. We ha- we actually have this. It's yeah. so unbelievably exciting.
1: It is. It is. Okay, we have I ha- an amazing moment. Yeah.
0: Okay, okay, I have to ask you because I. Couldn't love page 186 more.
1: Okay, so remind me what's there. Oh,
0: no. No, no I'm just going to tell you page okay. 186, and then, and then you tell me what's on page 186. Um,
1: You've read this book more recently than I have.
0: I, apparently, I have. Well, apparently, I have, people. We're learning this now. Um, I love the Mary Madison story.
1: Oh, really? Nobody's asked me about and that. And I love it. Thank you.
0: It's one of the highlights of the book to me. Because everybody has these. Everybody has these. All the smart people have these. And they just keep them like uh, it's in a closet somewhere. Because, Mm -hmm. but everybody has these. And the fact, I love the fact that you're Krista Tippett and you told the story in the book. You're in the west of Ireland? Ireland, Yes, yes. Yes. And you hear about... (laughs) This woman. Yeah. And that people made pilgrimages to meet this woman.
1: Who reads stones.
0: And she <laughs> but, and reads just, <laughs> stones. <laughs>
1: and can I just say, yes, I'm Krista Tippett, but I'm, you know, this is kind of the way I, when I started hearing about this, this is kind of on the woo-woo end of things, and I'm really not woo-woo. That's and exactly what And I know that's I a technical term, and you know what I'm talking about.
0: I completely know what you're talking about, and that's why the fact that you put it in the book mm-hmm. is like so fantastic
1: well it was life-changing and i resisted and then all these people came back and they were talking about it at breakfast at this writer's retreat that this woman had seen inside their souls and she told them things about their lives and their children and people who died who they loved and
0: now where now where are the st- you bring a stone no no there are stones you, there you
1: walk in all she knows is your first name she knows nothing about you.
0: And is she like? Is it a hut like built a into the wizard. side of a mountain with it, no, moss on the roof? No, That's my no, picture. it's a
1: it's a it's a beautiful, lovely kind of small, light filled house, and you can see the ocean. Um, and how and old is she, she? Oh my gosh! I mean, she's very beautiful. I sixties, seventies. I mean, she's one of these people who looks old and young at the same time. She has no age. She yes. has no age. Yeah. Um, and so she basically presents this bowl full of stones of every color. And she asks you to put your feet in the stones. Right. So, uh, so, at the, so far, this eyes? is going, yeah, so far, this is going exactly the way what I thought it would kind of go. nut job? And then she also, she also brings out this, uh, what is it? She brings out like a board and she says, just choose the first 12 stones that draw you. So... You're thinking now here's the thing. I think if this woman right, she has a gift. And if she were reading tea leaves, if she were a doctor, she'd be the doctor, you know, or the nurse who brings people back to life.
0: Absolutely. She had a gift. Or she'd place her hand on your elbow and be like Exactly. Do you have issues with milk when (laughs) you were seventeen?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Does your
0: skin break out on Thursdays? Yeah.
1: Oh my word, how did you know? So she starts (laughs) describing my children to me and and then she starts kind of seeing people who are gone, and she sees my grandfather. Oh, I was just telling you one thing. I don't think I wrote this in there. About that is, she said to me, um, "So you're a teacher?" And I said, "No, I'm not a teacher." That's actually
0: where I wanted to go with this interview. By yeah, she the said,
1: "No, I'm not." I said, "No, I'm not a teacher." Um, in fact, you know, at one point in my when my children were young, <laughs> um, my daughter said to me one day, you know. Mom, it's really good that you're not. A, you know, I was trying to help them with their homework, right? It's really good that you're not a teacher because you'd be a terrible teacher. <laughs> and so, I've never thought of myself that way. And I said, "No, I'm not a teacher." And then she kept coming back to this, and I'd be, oh, I, she said, "I really, I really think you're a teacher. Isn't that interesting?" And it made me. I mean, that I, it made me think about um, there. There is an aspect of teaching to Absolutely. what I do, and it's not as standing Absolutely. in the classroom telling you things. Um, but she also. She said, um, you know, she saw my grandfather, and she said, he was very stern, wasn't he? Very strict. Um, she said, I think, she said something like, I think he, she said he was hard on himself, too. And um, I, I think she said, I think he knows now that, that all those rules weren't so necessary. And she said at some point, but she also said, what he did and what you do is not so different which was an amazing thing. <sighs> and also that he saw that. She's telling me this from beyond time. At one point she said he's raising a glass to you. <laughs> you know, my grandfather drinking champagne. And <sighs> this was a this was an amazing moment in my life.
0: Absolutely.
1: And it sounds crazy to talk about it. I think it was maybe easier to write about it because you can you can I could give it some nuance, yes. some sinew yeah. in writing. You tell the story, and it's it's like it's you know moments of of mystery, of that kind of mystery. Uh, the minute you put them into words, they start to lose something. Yes. Um, but it was it was one of those moments where you just think there's a lot more that's wild and woolly that's going on here.
0: And that's what I. Yeah, the Reed Stones is in quotes. I was like, oh, I, I, I <laughs> right. know exactly what she's doing here. She's yeah. going to tell us something that really happened. She's actually going to report it mm-hmm. with no hype. She's going to give us the proper disclaimer. And, but then, like, for a page here, we're going to go someplace that it's not really like a tangent. It's more like, it, in some ways to me, it sums up And I, what you're doing. And I actually wanted to end with this with thank you for all the teaching that you do. <laughs> because for many people, you are the interviewer pulling it out of others, but I think this book is it's like each it may be the same content, but it's a different medium, and this book has you're you're teaching us here, and it's really really, really helpful for so many of us so
1: well i thank you I can't tell you um what it means for you to really be. You know, for you to be reading the words back to me and to be oh yeah the book a book is is like a baby right it you
0: absolutely you
1: you bring it into the world but then you you set it loose in the world and um uh, and then it has a life of its own and um, this book took a lot out of me to write yeah and it, it just it's um it's a it's a great gift that you're giving me um, by loving that book
0: I sensed it right away when I when the table of contents there were the one word. Mm-hmm. sections and that always I was like oh this is a simplicity after complexity like, yes, to get it yes, down to yes. that she had to push through complexity which would have been long titles and just that this had a certain restraint and discipline to it and then in the book you mentioned it was difficult and I this feels like this took s- seven years and energy because of how it's like another level of it's almost like it takes so much more energy to make it accessible, especially when we're talking about depth. Um,
1: yeah, right. Isn't that funny?
0: Yeah. Th- that, the simplicity after complexity is, yeah. it just takes a whole other level of yeah. blood and sweat, and it's just so fantastic. Um, but we have to finish with the Mary. We have to just end with that Mary Madison story. I don't want to muck it up. <laughs> what was that
1: thing that she said to my, my grandf- she said that my grandfather said, we, we can be closed-minded We get we can get closed minded when we when we should be investigating.
0: Come on. So good.
1: You know, and whether my grandfather said that to her in some parallel universe or not, that is a deep truth. And and it and it's a good way to describe what I've decided to follow and what I find so many people out there are ready to do. We are ready to be investigating.
0: Absolutely. So good. Thank you. So good. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Bell interviews Krista Tippett (laughs) on Being in the Backhouse. This edition is brought to you by the universe and love. (laughs)
2: Thank you.